0: Welcome to this, your active debate on cybersecurity in the EU, why we need NIS2, and what changes does it mean for the tech sector. I'm Brian McGuire. Our event today is sponsored by Huawei, and you can follow the debate at hashtag EADebates, and Please tweet your comments using the hashtag, our social media team will respond to you there. And to ask questions, go to the chat section and use the ask button. Cybersecurity is one of the European Commission's top priorities and a cornerstone of a digital and connected Europe. An increase of cyberattacks during the COVID crisis has shown how important it is to protect hospitals, research centres and other critical infrastructure. According to the Commission, the review of the Directive on Security Network and Information Systems, NAS2, is an essential step towards a more resilient Europe, ensuring state-of-the-art risk management of current and emerging cyber threats to vital sectors of the EU economy, and society. NAS2 proposal covers new services such as the manufacturing of pharmaceuticals, medical devices and chemicals, the food sector, wastewater and waste management, postal and courier services, as well as public administration. And the new text aims to address several shortcomings of the NAS1 directive. It categorizes companies into essential and important based on the criticality of their services and subjects the two categories to different supervisory regimes. So here to discuss this with us today is Svetlina Penkova, a member of the European Parliament and a member of the ITRA Committee in the European Parliament. Uh, Tamara Tafra, a counselor on cyber issues and hybrid threats at the Croatian uh, permanent representation to the EU. Clara Jordan, chief public policy officer at the Cyber Peace Institute. And David Harmon, EU cyber security and privacy director at Huawei. Thanks to all of you for joining us today and taking the time to be with us. And I'm going to give each of you about 60 seconds just for your opening uh, comments as well. So Adelina Penkova, let's start with you. 60 seconds.
1: I hope you can hear me and see me well. Uh, So uh, cybersecurity in the EU is an ongoing matter that we should uh, discuss. And uh, we should keep updating the regulation on that point. And with the COVID pandemic and the increased usage of the online services uh, in all aspects of our life, we've seen an increased risk in the cybersecurity space, which means we have uh, a lot of work still to be done
2: there.
0: Thank you so much. Tamara Tafra, over to you.
2: Thank you very much and good afternoon to you all. Uh, I will just continue and saying that uh, cybersecurity in the Europe is extremely important, which the last year and a half has shown. And the magic word is harmonisation, and this is something that this directive is trying to achieve—to have a more harmonisation uh, in the cybersecurity at the European level. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Clara Jordan.
2: Thank you, Brian.
3: Just really to continue on on the thread, you know, not only we see the amount of cyber attacks increase, but what is also increasing is the societal harm. And societal impact of these cyber attacks, we've seen it, you know, with the healthcare sector, with the pharmaceutical industry, you know, and now with the with the food supply or um, pipeline. So really, with with a lot of the things that this uh, new directive is proposing, is to address not only the the sort of the scale of the attacks, but really how uh, detrimental they have been to society and what their sort of societal and individual impact has been.
0: Thank you. Thank you. David
4: Harman? Well, I mean, the last uh, time the EU put in place uh, a ETH directive, a directive dealing with the, uh, the security of information systems in 2016. So the world has changed quite a lot since then, and the process of digitalization has intensified in terms of its involvement in modernizing uh, vertical industries in the areas of energy or financial services, in the area of agriculture and transport. So is the European Union, the European Commission, the European Parliament, the European Council, uh, is it correct that these institutions are looking to review uh, the Nice One Directive? Absolutely is the answer to that question. But a further question that has to be answered in that context is, what are the rules that are going to be put in place uh, to regulate uh, what companies uh, fall under the scope uh, of these two? And that's a, a debate that's uh, intensifying in Brussels at this time. Thank
0: you. Svitlina, so, is the scope of this too broad? Is it too much being packed into to the new directive?
1: It is, I mean, this is a big question to answer. However, yeah, of course the scope has been extended, but it's been extended for a reason. Like now you've mentioned some of the sectors which it does include with the increased scope, but it also includes sectors such as the cloud and uh, data services, aerospace, telecoms, central government systems. Uh, the reason for having them also added is because they they need to be, uh, first of all, protected in terms of the uh, consumers that are using them. And uh, we are uh, proposing a regulatory framework that would be helpful for them, more or less.
0: Thank you. Clara, Clara Jordan, the is, same question. Is the scope too wide? Is there overreach here? Is the mission creep? Is, is the Commission going too far?
3: Uh, I mean, I don't think so, because again, given the criticalities of the sector, you know that that are are mentioned or are extended. You know it, it is absolutely necessary that the regulation is extending. You know that we introduce that risk management sort of mindset that you know this this uh, directive is proposing. You know that we're moving really to to the to um, determining which sectors would fall. You know by the member state based on their risk profile. I mean that is absolutely crucial. So if we think about, for example, what happened with the election infrastructure. In 2016, in the United States, you know, they were not um, designated necessarily as the critical infrastructure. So, you know, we are moving not to, you know, the the name of the entity, but really to the risk profile. So um, absolutely, you know, necessary. You know, the enforcement might be challenging on on the side of um, the EU. But I would say that, you know, if the regulator, you know, demands all these obligations and and imposes them, then they have to step their um, game up as well on the enforcement.
0: Thank you, Tamara. You know, if you talk about the, the harmonization across Europe, you know why does why does France care about uh, you know the water sewage treatment system in, in Croatia? You know why why does it need to be a supranational approach to this? Uh,
2: first of all, I'll go a little bit back in time in 2016 when we adopted the NIS one, which was the first cybersecurity legislation. Trying to regulate and trying to introduce the new the new uh, elements for cybersecurity in the whole Europe, so European uh, EU-wide uh, regulation, and it was actually a good success and good story which uh, has contributed to the more uh, security in the Europe. Uh, of course, it's just five years. Somebody will you know ask why we need to to change something that's only five years old, but. This is the area where the uh, technology and the uh, events are progressing very quickly and it's developing very quickly and we need to react. That's why we have, uh, you know, the commission has proposed and we are also currently discussing about the scope and what should be actually included because what is necessary for this uh, regulation is to be uh, future proof so that uh, we include everything that in several years is going to be critical. I mean, the recent events have shown that uh, health infrastructure was very critical in the, in, for all member states. Uh, we never know when the water uh, is going to be critical, and that's why we need to to have, you know, thinking in advance and thinking how to protect everything that can influence the whole society. And that's why, I mean, now the uh, negotiations are ongoing in, in the Council. Uh, we are discussing, of course, scope is one of the most important questions uh, during the negotiations. But, I mean, we need to make a regulation that is, first of all, uh, future-proof. And, second, that will have impact on the uh, cybersecurity in Europe. So, create uh, great impact on the cybersecurity and enhance cybersecurity. Because the resilience is the, the word that we are, you know, trying to... to uh, Introduce on, on level and mainstream cybersecurity actually on, on level. This is also one of the uh, elements of this uh, directive is to raise awareness, not just you know on the ICT level of the technical level of the companies, but also on the managerial level of the companies. So everybody's aware uh, of the importance of cybersecurity, not just for them, for their companies and entities, but also for the whole society. And that's why I mean the <laughs> negotiations are progressing very well, and uh, we are also looking forward uh, to to hear the report from the from the Parliament and also to the soon uh, trials with the Parliament on the issues uh, that uh, are still open in in the in the whole in the whole process.
0: Thank you. We'll come back to those issues that are still open in a few minutes. But, uh, Svetlina the. What's changed in five years? We could have had foresight about hospitals being critical infrastructure, water treatment plants being uh, critical as well five years ago. Is it the the scale of the threat that's changed? Is technology that's changed? Or is it just uh, awareness in in, uh, public policy that has changed? How do you see it?
1: The easy answer to this question is everything has changed. I mean, we've literally seen for the last 18 months that the technology Development jumped, um, they say, like, what's the equivalent of probably seven or eight years of development just because of the situation we were facing. Uh, So if the the, the short answer is yeah, everything has changed. And I think uh, for that matter, the regulator regulators perspective had changed as well uh, in the sense that uh, we understand that the technological development quite often moves much faster than uh, the regulation itself. Which creates certain burdens uh, for everyone uh, who is involved uh, as a stakeholder, and uh, more more explicitly for our uh, uh, for the European citizens and for the consumers of those services. So I think probably one of the most um, important aspects of what we should be uh, looking at at the moment is it has already been mentioned, and it's one of the main prerogatives of the. Um, of the NAS is the um, harmonisation, uh, because that's one of the main differences. If we look back, uh, if we look back five years from now, now uh, when we speak about the essential operators or like the the scope of that uh, directive, we're no longer speaking of uh, something that's defined at the member state level, but at the European level, which is the right step forward, uh, giving us confidence that as a regulator on that matter we would have a broader view and uh, would hopefully be able to react much faster compared to the uh, national uh, governments on, on that matter. And it probably gives more security in terms of how the process would go uh, go on in the future.
0: Thank you. David, when we talk about future-proofing and harmonization, what do you think that means uh, for Europe as well? Can we really future-proof uh, technology? Can we really make our, our systems
4: that much more resilient? I mean, a point I'd like to emphasize is the European Union comprises 27 countries and it's a political process in itself and it is a core policy objective of the European Commission, the European Parliament European Council in its broadest sense to integrate and work more closely on a range of policy matters. And that includes now in the field of cybersecurity. So, I mean, uh, you ask the question, why would somebody in France be interested in the cybersecurity of uh, of a company operating in uh, uh, Croatia? I mean, cybersecurity is everyone's business. Cybersecurity is the business of all governments and companies across the length and breadth of the European Union. Uh, at the core of what the European Union stands for is the promotion of the internal market in Europe. An internal market where there's free movement of goods, persons, services and capital. And all of these matters connected to cyber security are interlinked in that process. So actually, uh, 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 it is very important that in the context of policies pursued by the EU institutions in the area of cyber security, that... The internal market and the operation of the internal market is promoted and not fragmented and that would be uh, a, an issue that we as that Huawei would like to see addressed in the context of the debate that we did see that when it came to the rollout of the 5G toolbox that different member states had different interpretations as to how that toolbox could be uh, implemented uh, and uh, in the context of the discussions now In the draft text or in the text that have been discussed by the European Parliament, uh, there are uh, proposals that governments could uh, look at non-technical factors in evaluating the security risk that suppliers could uh, could have uh, for European businesses. And evidently... uh, We would recommend that organisations like ANISA, working closely with EU member states and enshrined within the NEEDS2 proposal, it's a closer cooperation between uh, ANISA and the 27 member states of the European Union, whether it's through... organizations like the Cooperation Group or the CCERT organization, that common certified and technical standards uh, be enshrined in the criterion uh, that are used in evaluating uh, uh, the security of supply chains and the security of suppliers working within that process. Because what businesses want is some certainty in how Uh, these matters are going to be rolled out and that's a central discussion that's now taking place within the ITRA Committee of the European Parliament and evidently uh, at the level of the Council where Tamara is representing too.
0: Thank you. Uh, Clara, is this, when we talk about resilience, is this a defensive democracy approach or is this a defensive economy approach and the single market as David has led out?
3: You know, I think it's it's both, but but I think really here for me what's important to realize and I and I you know I comment a lot of the the the, the novelties of the, the directive is that I think there's also this understanding of this interconnected, you know, finally interconnected nature of our systems. If you look at supply chain attacks that really paralyzed, you know, several countries. You know, I think there is this, this real understanding that cybersecurity and, and regulation and they, they don't happen, you know, in an isolated way. They happen in a geopolitical context. Um, you know, they they happen in a context where if the EU wants to project resilience, you know, all the countries have to work together in a harmonized way. You know to have those resilient society whether it's a resilient society from the democratic perspective or you know from the market uh perspective so and i also think that there's a lot of focus on digitization from e-governance services and all that, you know, where where EU and, and governments actually realize sort of the potential uh, that can have for citizens. And, and they came to realization that, you know, to really unlock the potential of the technology that, that they want to provide to their citizens in terms of services, you know they have to they have to first secure it so you know for me it's really it's, it's it's really that is the key sort of realization and it's both for the market and it's both for democracy um, I would say there you know it's, it's two of the pillars of the of the European Union that that you know every you know I would say almost everything revolves around these things and if you look at the scope of um, the potential organizations that would fall within the scope you know it, it really covers it really covers both Um, I would also say that what has been really a positive development in in terms of this societal resilience and and technical resilience are all these developments in the the proposal around the, you know, the the stability of the system. If you look at the, you know, what's being proposed around DNS, the domain um, name system. Or the trusted service providers. I mean, th- there is a real realization that that the the backbone of the internet, you know, can create you know serious security risks for the users, for the individuals, for the businesses, but also for the stability of the internet. So really, you know. It, it's amazing if, if you look at the scope of it, how they really think, how, how those, you know, who, who drafted it and worked on it and contributed it, thought about, you know, this whole ecosystem from the backbone to democracy, you know, to market and technology.
0: Thank you. Tamara, and then bring in uh, Svetlina on this as well. I, you what's, What are the, the bottleneck issues here in terms of uh, what we're going to see in the legislative process? So, you know, what issues... Do you see the parliament have uh, with this uh, going forward? Tamara?
2: Well the report is still not officially out so I will not comment the report of the uh, parliament. I will just say from our discussions which are progressing very well thanks to the Slovenian presidency which is doing an excellent job uh, uh, regarding this directive and conducting the negotiations in the council Uh, We are progressing very well, Um, I must say the main issue, I think it's going to be uh, as the same uh, which we're going to have also with the Parliament, is the scope. Uh, Here there are different views, what needs to be also included, but also the um, intention of Member States to um, have a, a little bit of flexibility Uh, to include uh, those companies, those entities, which they considered are, uh, according to a risk risk assessment, very important to be in the scope of directives, and they are not. Uh, From the perspective of the small country, uh, we have also very uh, big concerns about the uh, small and micro enterprises. And, of course, we will try not to um, introduce additional uh, administrative burden to them, uh, especially uh, because those companies are backbone of our economy so we need to also try to find a solution and a proper balance between uh, security and uh, uh, economy um, and of course the issue of reporting uh, this is the something that's still let's put it like this, an open issue, and it's going to be also, I think, one of the discussions with the Parliament in upcoming months, uh, how the reporting and the time of the reporting of incidents should uh, look like. And just to follow up of what previous speakers have said uh, regarding the uh, existing structures, uh, the NIS one has introduced something called NIS Cooperation Group, uh, which is uh, the um, group uh, uh, consisting of the member states, uh, with the help and, uh, of ENISA and uh, European Commission. And it's actually the group which uh, is behind the 5G toolbox. Uh, it's the group that's behind also the uh, cyclone network. So they have produced a lot of very valuable and very uh, good stuff in the last few years. And the directive is going to actually also enhance and and you know give credit to their work also for the future. So sister uh, network is also one of the structures that's very important, and it's it actually came from the NIS one. So as said, we have already structures that are you know very good at, at the at the uh, uh, in combating and addressing the cybersecurity risks, and uh, those structures are going to be um, also. Uh, Continuing to, to work and uh, also in the new in the new scope of the NISU.
0: Thank you. Uh, let's uh, go to Svetlina. Parliament, you know, what's the discussion? W- where is this report likely to land? What are the issues?
1: So. Um... The, this report would be voted in each on the 20th, uh, 28th of uh, October, and I, I can just highlight some of the priorities that um, our group was uh, was defending in the massive dose negotiations. I personally wasn't involved uh, uh, in the actual negotiations, so uh, something which, uh, which is quite important uh, and uh, is finding place now uh, in the um, Is the in the compromise we see how the how it goes from then on Uh, the provision the provisions to defend to defend the privacy by design and strong data protection, specifically in the context of cyber security. We also managed to achieve and include a provision on the Member States to integrate AI technology open source application um, in the national cyber security strategies um in terms of uh one of our main uh, group priority was um the cybersecurity capacity uh building and training uh, which is uh support for uh for the smes and those are incorporated in the final compromises i think those are some of the the key matters uh which uh, which we managed to uh to achieve in in the group and of course there are many more but uh I don't want to waste time on going line by line with each
0: one of them go line by line later then thank you this uh we actually had a question on this as well from tg who are is. so thank you for that um, asking you to specifically outline some of the issues you're dealing with there as well we also have another question from goran uh goto we going to come to in just a second and just to encourage your audience to send your questions now we'll put those uh, to our panel as we go through the discussion Uh, as well. Uh, Clara, you you mentioned the word backbone in terms of uh, DNS uh, services, for example, and uh, uh, Tamara mentioned also backbone in the context of uh, micro businesses, small businesses across Europe being the backbone of of Europe's economy as well. You know, when we talk about cybersecurity, we tend to look at the big issues here, the big uh, players and the big uh, networks. But it's the weakest link that uh, risks bringing down the whole system. So it, it's interesting to me that the DNS uh, element uh, it could be the weakest link because all the small players are involved there. The economy uh, can be substantially damaged if that network is damaged as well. You know, it, do you think it's, it's prudent to give so much scope to small micro-businesses uh, to opt out or to not be... Uh, for these measures not to be enforced? Or do we need much more governmental support to ensure that there's a higher standard for micro and small businesses as well, and that this should be part of the, the package that's built into NAS 2 Clara?
3: Thank you. Yeah, I, I think you know the the the, the policy and decision makers always have this really you know important balance to strike. And I think when you look at sort of the DNS and the, and the small micro entities which which have uh, exceptions in this in this proposal, I think there uh, I would I would you know assume that the, the 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 thought was behind you know the the potential harm and impact you know uh, that that can be inflicted. And and I think the the assumption or the calculation was that you know if you're a micro entity, you know the reach of a potential sort of um, DNS-related security risk is smaller. But you know the the it was mentioned you know the capacity building element should be for me part of any regulatory proposals, and and um, this is not just for the you know the small organizations that that will be within the scope, but it's also. You know, for the countries who will have to, you know, um, you know, do their own legislation and and you know, make work on these lists of entities, um, I think in the past five years, you know, that level, um, you know, it was mentioned all these, you know, the the working groups and the the cybersecurity competence networks. You know, I think they really helped to elevate. Uh, sort of the capacity of a lot of countries that that would, you know, struggle with, with implementation of these things, you know, so for me, capacity building has to go both, you know, f- from the EU to the smaller member states, and, and within every member state, it, it does have to be part, you know, of any legislative or regulatory measures, because without that, you can have you know, you can have information sharing, you can have reporting, you can have the best measure in place. We've particularly seen this with information sharing, you know, that there are these mechanisms, but the organization have no no capacity and capability to ingest it and act on it. So it should be absolutely part of of any legislative or or regulatory proposal, both, you know, towards the member states from the EU and within uh, to small businesses. And and there's been, you know, a a wonderful range of, of initiatives both from the EU institutions, member state, and the not-for-profit community actually to, to increase the resilience and, and make the cybersecurity a little easier for these small entities. You know, if you tell them, go, go implement the top, you know, the top 10 NIST controls, you know, they don't know what it means. They don't even know, you know, how do you pick your AV, you know, which is a total baseline in cyber hygiene for us. So I think the, you know, it, it's not only the guidance, it's really the tools um, you know that, that these organizations have to be given
0: thank you David when we talk about capacity building just as, as Clara has led out here as well and she mentioned the role of government ngos uh, example these different initiatives that are already in place uh, what role is there for big tech uh, to be able to uh, develop and support uh, capacity building here as well because you know it's not just that you're supplying services uh, and companies like yours are supplying services but there's a supply chain uh, there as well which uh, you can Uh, help develop as well. Do you think that big tech has a substantial role to play in capacity building in partnership with with government?
4: Uh, I do indeed. I mean, uh, from the perspective of Huawei, uh, we have very serious baselines to guarantee that uh cybersecurity is enshrined within all our processes from design from r d through to marketing through to testing through to validation uh through to uh, maintenance and also uh, we come from the school of thought that this is a shared responsibility so uh, high level technical standards should be set Uh, in cooperation with key leading international organizations, whether it's in the context of uh, the GSMA or the ITU. Uh, In fact, Huawei as a company have certifications from 170 different international uh, certified organizations. So in fact, it is an absolute shared responsibility. And it was referenced earlier on in this debate that part of the objective of these two is also to raise awareness. This is very important too, because you can't decompartmentalize cybersecurity away from looking at other uh, EU legislation, whether it's in the field of uh, uh, data governance or new data strategies, or even AI strategies. In fact, the whole process uh, is, is interlinked. Um, so uh, Huawei as a company, can uh, demonstrate best practices in this field very serious best practices but in fact uh, the whole ambit of the uh, of this stacker so to speak uh, should be working together uh, to set uh, uh, ultimately global technical and certified standards because that gives the uh, that gives the surety and the certainty that businesses are looking for in this context.
0: Thank you. We have a question uh, for uh, Clara and David here from Javier Vellegas burgos uh, Javier is from Vodafone. I said both uh, Clara and David uh, mentioned supply chain attacks and telecom equipment to vendor risk, but uh, NIST2 doesn't list the ICT supply chain pl- players as important or essential entities. Shouldn't we apply the same risk management and reporting regime uh, to all? Clara?
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know i think the supply chain attacks have have shown us that you know it could be one of the key uh, elements of any sort of resilience strategy to to thinking about you know the the supply chain now you know perhaps those um, more on the inside and closer to the drafting can 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 explain you know uh, why were some of the you know decision taken i mean for for me, you re- if you look at the NIS2, you know th- there is a requirement to assess and take into account the overall quality of products and cybersecurity practices. You know the suppliers and the service providers and you know including the the secure development procedures so for me it's it's a very important sort of first you know step and i think um you know currently absent you know any eui certification and 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 a lot of the things that, that david was mentioning you know i think if we can start to align with with well established standards and and mutual recognition of of schemes you know i think that that is a first important you know that's a first important step but should it be you know Absolutely. Is there, you know, is there a uh, is there a positive development in the current draft? I, I would say yes. You know, but I think it's, it's also a, um, you know, it, it's a progress and it's a process um, to to understand these issues. And I think the EU is also trying to regulate at the level where they can build a standard that that the, the member states sort of can follow across the board.
0: Okay, just on that as well, is this the risk that uh, if we go for the lowest common denominator, we fail to be sufficiently resilient? and we fail to achieve uh, the target here, Clara?
3: You know, I think that's always a risk. Um, but for me, you know, even if you elevate the, the weakest link, you know, and, and, you, and you build it at the, at, the, at the next level, bring it to the next level, you know, that's already improvement. You know, I, I don't think I don't think we're going totally for the, the lowest common denominator, you know, if, if you look at what 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 the proposal writes. But, you know, on the supply chain, I, I do think that the, the directive could have been a bit more ambitious.
0: Thank you. David, uh, on the same question, just in response to Javier uh, there as well, shouldn't we apply the same risk management and reporting regime to all?
4: Well, I mean, that's the core of the debate that's taking place now in the European Parliament, the European Council, where there's a distinction been drawn between essential businesses and important uh, businesses. But I mean, at the core of this uh, proposal for Nice 2 is the elimination of the distinction between the operation of essential services and, and digital service providers. And also, uh, it is a clear, a clear uh, priority of uh, NICE2 that uh, EU member states, together with the NICE, have to draw up very clear uh, risk assessment plans to identify what are the risks to the supply chain uh, within respective member states and across the European uh, Union? And again, we come from the school of thought that enshrined within the proposal should be a commitment to zero trust uh, approach. We would like to see uh, harmonized standards, agreed, certified and uh, resilient standards uh, that can uh, ensure that... Uh, the, that people involved, companies involved, know where they lie in the context of the requirements of uh, uh, needs to. And uh, we think that's really very important that this zero trust approach be taken.
0: Thank you. Uh, Tamara Svedlina, just on the do you want to add anything else to uh, Javier's
2: question here? Tamara? I mean, the scope is still under discussion, so (laughs) it's still not clear what's going to be everything in the scope. So this is something that's still, you know, uh, a work in progress. Uh, I mean, and also there is one reference in in the proposal uh, which also calls for uh, certification of some ICT products, uh, processes and services for uh, uh, certain certain entities. Uh, So there are some... uh, Security clauses that are already introduced in the current text and might stay also for 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 the for the final one. But I would like to to uh, stress out that here it's important also to have in mind that uh, yes, the whole I agree that the whole uh, cytos should be protected, but we also have um, cybersecurity act. Uh, which uh, was one of the regulation adopted a few years earlier uh, on the certification of ICT products, uh, uh, services, and processes. So uh, we do have these, you know, synergies uh, between different cybersecurity legislation, and these synergies should also be introduced in in the practice. And the NIS2 is trying to not just with the cybersecurity act. Uh, and uh, uh, the cybersecurity legislation, but also with other legislation such as DORA, which is on the financial sector, uh, and o- also other sectoral legislations that are upcoming to try to have the um, uh, minimum standards and uh, for all of those uh, entities that are, you know, according to the risk assessment, uh, critical and which are very important for the, for the society at large. So, I mean, there are some uh, tips in, in, and, and then closes in, in, the, in the current current proposal, which actually are going in this direction to, to have the security of the whole cycles. Uh, and just one small short remark on the um, capacity building, if you allow me. Uh, here, uh, I would also remind uh, that we have uh, a regulation on competence center which actually uh, was foreseeing the uh, uh, help and for the small and micro and medium sized enterprises, but also for research communities to, to uh, engage more and to build more upon the cyber hygiene and build upon more on, on the uh, uh, capacities to, to be able to. Uh, be resilient, but also to, to address and to be able to recover from, from the cybersecurity incidents. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Recovery, I think, is an important element to this as well. We'll come back to that. Uh, a question also, this one, uh, Clara, you got a buy on this. It's for uh, uh, Tamara, David, and Svetlina from Maria Chiara uh, Papertsi. And she says, uh, what is the, what is your opinion related to the reporting deadline for incidents? Do you consider the 24 hours deadline as feasible? Svetlina.
2: Sorry. Okay. I hope now I'm
0: sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You're on. So do you think the 24 hour uh, reporting deadline uh, uh, for incidents is feasible?
1: Well, uh, I think it's a, this is one of the new, new parts of the, of the proposal and uh, I think uh, the, the strict timelines is uh, something which has been agreed. So it is feasible uh, and uh, so there is a difference between the fact that the entities should, should report uh, significant incidents that uh, happened uh, in a matter of 24 hours and uh, the incidents that are affecting the underlining data within uh, 72 hours. And uh, starting from the point that uh, we're thinking of the protection of consumer data, we believe it's feasible.
0: Thank you. Uh, David, Tamara, anything else to add to that?
4: It is the the case that a number of companies do feel that the 24-hour limit is a little tight and that's still going to have to be resolved with the discussions that take place uh, primarily uh, at Trilog uh, between the Commission, the Parliament and the Council over the next number of months.
0: Thank you, David. Tamara?
2: No, I just said that for us it's feasible because we already have it at the national level. We introduce it with NIS-1. So, uh, it's possible. It's, uh, of course, it also depends uh, what kind of reporting is going to be done in this 24 hours. So, this is something that we also need to discuss in the council and uh, afterwards with the parliament, uh, what is actually uh, asked from the entities to report in 24 hours.
0: Thank you. Uh, another question from Goran Gotev. Uh, Goran's from Blackberry and to, this goes to Svetlina and Tamara. Uh, Where do you expect to see interlinks between these two and the Cyber Resilience Act announced by President von der Leyen at the State of the Union? Tamara, you mentioned this uh, briefly. Do you want to respond to this first?
2: Yeah, I mean, the Cyber Resilience Act is is a regulation action IoT which is foreseen to be presented uh, in one year, so next autumn to 2022. Uh of course, uh, this is the area which is uh, at the moment not covered with uh, regulation. and IOT market is uh, raising rapidly. So uh, we already had in the council discussion last year that uh, some regulation is needed uh, for for the IOT products. And uh, hopefully, this Resilience Act is going to cover uh, the uh, area which is at, at the moment not covered with the cybersecurity regulation. Uh, of course, that I mean, as said earlier, uh, the uh, NIS 2 is already uh, trying to find synergies with current existing cybersecurity leg- regula- regulation. So we are hoping that also the uh, Resilience Act is going to be compatible and. Uh, uh, had added value also for, for the for the cybersecurity in the European Union.
0: Thank you, Svetlina?
1: I think Tamara, I've, I've already mentioned the fact that uh, most of that is to be seen once the proposal comes out. Uh, but uh, one common aspect uh, could be uh, the risk management uh, requirement for connected devices. Uh, and, uh, also, uh, there could be an overlap, uh, regarding the certification provisions.
0: Thank you. Uh, Clara, a question from Tapir and he says, do you agree with including social media platforms in the scope? Are they really that important uh, to society and to the economy?
3: Um, you know, I think it's, um. As you mentioned before, you know, that these two pillars of the EU sort of, you know, the the democracy and and market and economy, you know, if, if you really think about a potential harm and impact, you know, that that can be inflicting, you know, through the the, the the misuse of of the tools these platforms are providing that I th- you know I think it's absolutely now part um, of these conversations I think uh, the platforms have been you know calling for sort of more you know regulation and understanding um, of their responsibilities but it's really the realization again you know, of, of the importance. I mean, the, these platforms are not only for, for, for communications. I mean, if you look at Instagram, for example, um, it's perhaps not the best example in this debate. You know, I mean, it's an important tool for micro-businesses. You know, a lot of businesses do business through, through these platforms now. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an important step in realizing the importance they have not only for the society, democracy, you know, societal well-being, cohesion, mental health, but also for the you know for the economy in the EU, and, and I think it is, it is one of the objectives of the European Union to support you know small businesses. It was mentioned before that it's the backbone of the economy. I think we have quite a lot of research to to prove that. And so, I think there is there is this need to include them, um, in the in these conversations. And and if I may, um, you know, just just say something very briefly on the reporting, um, uh, because I think it's an important point to make. There's been enormous amount of research that have shown how important early reporting is. If you report early, you prevent the lateral movement, you know, of, of, you know, you have a chance to prevent the lateral movement, you know, of, of an adversary in your network. So if we, if we think that the primary objective of the, of the directive is the resilience, you know, understanding what is happening in one place and then being able to report it, but um, tomorrow mentioned it, it's going to depend on what we will have to report. But I think that that requirement, you know, of, of reporting and early reporting just should, you know, It's time to make it, you know, the a best practice and 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 regulation. So I think that that reporting uh, provision, it was mentioned, it's been agreed on. I think that has it's one of the, you know, biggest opportunities to improve, you know, to improve the resilience. And again, placing this in a geopolitical context, um, this can really help prevent, you know, the lateral movement as we've seen through. You know uh, various attacks. You know that that they got in from one hand, one side. We didn't know it, and and when they ended up, was much more serious. So, um, sorry for taking an opportunity to um, to it's, respond to uh, that as well.
0: No, thank you for that. I just to build on that also is that the reporting burden falls disproportionately depending on the size of the business as well, and so the enforcement elements uh, could also fall disproportionately and and uh, be overly punitive of small or micro businesses who who simply just don't have capacity on their side to um, either identify a risk or breach or or to ensure that that best practice is maintained at sufficiently high level as well, Clara. So, you know, do you you think this is, uh, it's not just a matter of the the regulation, and the benchmarking here, but uh, should there be scope for the deployment of support services within uh, these two as well? Should that be funded? Are these elements that you, you think should be included within uh, within the package, Clara?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's part of the ca- you know the the capacity building, um, you know, and, and giving the tools, as I mentioned, to these small organizations to 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 do that. So I really do hope that that. You know, we we will try to reach sort of for the sky, you know, in, in these requirements. But then both the EU and then the government in their own sort of actions around this, you know, they will make it make it part. But I think the capacity building, you know, to do this. And again, it's not just to, to say that they should do something. It's really giving them the practical tools they can do that, you know, that that are easy to use. Uh, that are understandable and, and they, they don't, you know, create, you know, additional burden um, on these organizations. I mean, I think the, the tech sector has shown an amazing level of innovation in, in coming up with, with different solutions to, to do these things. And, and I think it's, it's, yeah, it's the capacity building to, to meet these requirements is, is absolutely key.
0: Thank you. Uh, Tamara, uh, we talk about future proofing, and we're five years after uh, NIS1, now we're NIS2. Five years from now, we're going to be talking about NIS3. With the the speed of AI development and deployment, the the rise of quantum to come uh, within perhaps the next five years as well, Uh, will this uh, directive be obsolete before it really gets a chance to bite?
2: I mean, it's not for sure because NIS 1 is still uh, very valid and uh, it's implemented and and it it shows results. So although we are already talking about NIS 2, so I don't think that NIS 2 will not uh, uh, fulfill the purpose uh, before we start to talk about NIS 3. And in this case, I mean, we also need to take into account that uh, it's, you know, we need to go hand by hand with, with the progress, but also the uh, t- time that it takes in the council. I'm here for eight years, and I must say the uh, legislations uh, which uh, are conducted and, and discussed and negotiated in the council on the cyber issues are one of the, you know, mo- uh, 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 quickest one <laughs> to be honest, uh, because normally the negotiations in the council and afterwards with the parliament can take years. And here we are, st- really, with all the uh, legislation that we have already adopted. We have, you know, tried to to keep this 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 uh, the race uh, with with the development of techn- technologies. So I'm hoping that also the NISU will have this uh, future proof stamp on it, uh, at least for the ne- next five, maybe six years. Let's see.
0: Svetlina, what's the mood in Parliament on this? Is there confidence that this is really future proofed, or or is this a, a band-aid to, to stem uh, damage over the next few years until we can we can uh, upgrade the system again artificial intelligence, quantum these are not technologies that are going to stand still and and the advent of 5G deployed across Europe as well, the Internet of Things, autonomous driving all the, these the, the risk elements increase uh, as the technology becomes more complicated and harder to to uh, manage at a governmental level as well, don't you think?
1: I think we all agreed on that matter and uh, most of the speakers previously did highlight that point uh, in terms of the increased risk and that's why we need to be doing uh, more proactively our work in terms of the regulation of course when we're speaking about uh, AI and all the new technologies there are additional aspects added to the conversations here we're speaking about ethical aspects social impact which is also not that easy to, uh, to regulate or to even quantify so uh, in terms of the, the risks ahead, I'm pretty sure there are even some which we would not be able to foresee at this standing point that we are now.
0: Okay, but in terms of how we manage that, how we scope out, whether it be a tech neutral approach um, or whether it's a, a, a cooperation model, uh, you, is it possible to build it into these to, two to ensure that the response is quicker than perhaps it would have been in the past? That the support systems, are stronger, more robust than they would have been in the past as well. Even if we're not clear exactly what that risk is going to be, Svetlina.
1: I think uh, this is, of course, we we've aimed to do that in the in the in the current uh, in the current report, uh, and it's up, up up to us to see and with the time if, if we managed.
0: Okay. Thank you. David, how do you see this in terms of of, uh, uh, changing technologies? We know the risk is increasing, but uh, are we able to shape uh, public policy around managing that risk in a sufficient timeline? You say five years has passed, the next five years we'll probably need to do this again. So is the learning process here accelerating the political process as Tamara has outlined is clearly uh, working much more smoothly than could normally be anticipated for this level of complexity? Uh, is this a, a case where the political uh, pra- uh, actors have been educated well enough to be able to identify the risk and uh, and work through in policy detail faster than before? Or is this simply another case of the European Union responding to crisis more effectively than it perhaps has done in the past?
4: Yeah, no, i just take you up on the latter point there, Brian. No, I think the European Union is looking at the issue of cyber security and a lot of related policies in a very uh, structured manner. I mean, NICE 2 falls under the uh, remit 2 of the broader EU strategies that have been promoted in the field of digital sovereignty and strategic autonomy. And uh, just as Tamara mentioned earlier on about uh, how NICE 1 had successfully put in place a number of new initiatives uh, Nice 2 also has enshrined within its compass that uh, Nice, the cooperation group, the European Union working with EU member states are to strategically review the operations of Nice II uh, in a very clear and structured way to take account of new and emerging tech trends. I mean, it's clearly the case that it's always been a challenge uh, for legislators in Europe and across the world to keep uh, keep abreast of the policy requirements for an evolving and changing uh, tech world uh, but it's clearly my understanding and it's certainly the objective of the european union that it is putting in place the governance structures to ensure that as new te- new technologies do come in come on stream for broader society and that means new techs that are used for all vertical industries uh, that the proper governance structures are put in place to ensure ensure uh, the safety and security of supply chains. Because at the, in the end of the day, that's the core objective for us all, is to ensure uh, that uh, cyber security is promoted at all times. In fact, cyber security and uh, privacy protection are two halves have the same coin. But uh, certainly the EU has put in place very strong governance structures to keep abreast of these new tech changes and uh, that's certainly the position as i see it from the european commission the european parliament and indeed the and indeed the council of ministers
0: thank you clara when we we're speaking earlier just about social media platforms it occurred to me that yeah, what we've seen recently in terms of uh, facebook uh, whatsapp instagram I did use as well you know, there's the question of, uh, of competition here as well, of market dominance, that we have uh, oversized suppliers of digital services uh, which become uh, critical issues for the, the, the supply chain and for the functioning of our economy and for our democracy as well. Uh, do you think that competition and uh, monopolies should be part of this discussion as well in terms of how we manage critical infrastructure and ensure cybersecurity?
3: It- you know, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll probably respond indirectly to to this question. To, to me, it's it's really all about you know risk management, and so you know, and and I think this is where the the NIS two is is doing really so well. You know that that we moved away from the distinction of of providers and really said you know we're going to have a risk management mindset, and so you know. Your regulatory measures, your defenses, your cybersecurity should be always proportional to the risk you know the the organization is posing to certain interest, and then you know it, it, it is up to you know the the regulators to discuss what are the proportional measures you know to take to address to, to the risk. So there may be a point where competition rules are a proportionate measure you know to to deal with with the risk you know, that, that, that an organizational platform is, exposing to the economy and, and society. So I think, t- to me, it's really um, that here, the, the, you know, the, the biggest benefit, um, or sort of the biggest improvement um, is, is really that risk management, um, and reporting requirements, uh, but they should be sort of that should sort of be the mindset, even when we're thinking about threats to democracy and economy, and what is a measure that is proportional to, um, to, to deal with the risk.
0: Thank you. Just to say to our audience to send in questions now, we have uh, uh, we're, uh, still some time to put those to the panel, so please don't hesitate, send your questions uh, in right away. We'll put those directly and um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the distinction between uh, what is important and what is essential as, as well uh, Svetlina you know is the distinction clear enough in Parliament or is, do people really have an issue with this is the scoping accepted as as uh, fair.
1: Well, I think we've, uh, we've tried to define that as as good as possible. We've already managed to uh, think about that in the beginning of our conversation. So uh, beyond the list of uh, existing, uh, sorry, essential um, operators, sectors like uh, cloud and um, data services, aerospace, telecoms, central government IT systems, also the new additions, as we've already mentioned, And a uh, lighter reporting regime um, is uh, envisioned for the new important entities uh, such as the the manufacturing, postal services, chemicals, uh, digital service providers. So I think it's pretty clear in terms of the way we divide them and define them. So uh, there shouldn't be any discrepancy or misunderstanding in terms of the extensive extensive lists uh, we have included.
0: Okay, Tamara, we're talking about the enforcement uh, here now as well. Now, uh, you know, given the number of essential entities in scope here, uh, the enforcement seems to be perhaps the politically most contentious uh, dynamic of this as well. You know, what what is enforcement going to look like in these two? And, you know, what's the scope for uh, harmonization? And uh, would you have confidence that it would be enforced equally and fairly across the European Union? Because, you know, lack of enforcement, in one area opens up a market opportunity in another uh, member state as well. So, you know, in terms of, of uh, a, a fair uh, single market, there's an issue with that too. It's not just a cyber security element. Tamara?
2: Yes, and I will just continue on the cyber security element because uh, this directive is not a standalone island. Uh, it's going uh, simultaneously with uh, discussions on uh, CER directive, sir. So that's the critical entities directive, uh, which is actually for the physical security of uh, critical entities. And uh, their sectors are the same as ours, our essential one. So these two directives are going simultaneously and so that we will address both uh, security, cybersecurity and the physical security of critical entities. Uh, coming back to, to, to your question, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> It's a difficult one, Uh, how to to enforce. Uh, Of course, there are some uh, uh, fines foreseen in the regulation, which we are still discussing. Uh, Of course, there is also the um, obligation of the national uh, authorities to try to uh, implement the NIS Directive into national legislation so that it's harmonized in all member states. Uh, this is something that's that's it's going to be of course um, especially not knowing what is going to be the end result of negotiations but uh, having in mind the nis 1 directive where we had some differences between member states when it comes to the implementation and the uh, identification of uh, operators of essential services but that's why this directive is actually trying to, to overcome those gaps and try to find the solutions so that we, on, on the level of the EU, we have a harmonized approach. Um, there is also something that is it's very important to, to mention. is the uh, issue of the cyber hygiene uh, in the sense that... Uh, it's, of course it's uh, something that it's i mean we that are working with it we, we know that how important it is uh but the um, uh, entities uh are not always aware uh from the political point of view uh, i don't know if you have read the recent uh european council on conclusions where the cyber was mentioned uh, very prominent so it the the political level has Actually, uh, see has actually saw the uh, importance, and and you know they are stressing it uh, over and over. But now it's also the on the um, uh, business level to to see uh, the importance of, of the of the cybersecurity. And here there is another point that I would like to stress is the um, amount of information um, and the amount of. Um, that is going to be of obligation. That is going to be um, the new one for new for the, some some entities. But from the other side, when we talk about reporting, we need also to think about the other side of the coin. And this is our the are the national ccerts, which are going to be recipients of those informations coming from the entities on the incidents, and and uh, threats. So there, we also need especially from the. A perspective of the smaller countries, needs to think about how not to introduce not admit, uh, additional administrative burden for the entities and the private sector, but also for those who are going to deal with those uh, reports and those information received from the entities. So it's going to be a very tough discussion how to achieve a balance you know, between those two sides, but also not jeopardize the uh, cybersecurity uh, in, in a global one.
0: Thank you. Uh, so Lena, you know, Parliament has previous on this when it comes to defending uh, small, medium-sized businesses as well, where uh, there's been a, a, too much of a burden placed uh, on those who perhaps can least afford, uh, at least afford it, and also in terms of enforceability and, and penalties. And we have another question here from uh, PG, um, who says, uh, we've heard from uh, Clara that and these two is based on risk management, uh, but he asks, who determines measures uh, implemented by the business? Uh, to determine whether it's proportionate to the risk, the business themselves, the national regulator, or the European Commission. So, who determines the measures and the proportionality of the risk? Maybe Tamara wants to offer comments on this. Uh,
2: well, in the, in the directive itself, there are some conditions that needs to be fulfilled. Then you have the national cybersecurity strategies which are actually uh, putting those conditions into the force uh, through the national legislation. So it's, you know, uh, so it's not the uh, just uh, sim- simple simple thing, but you need also to take into account uh, the current status in the member states, because not, for example, if you, if you have the, uh, I don't know, food producer in one member states, doesn't have the same status as the, the one in, in the other member states, so you need also to take this uh, regional or national uh, differences between the member states. But as said, the uh, main preconditions are foreseen in the directive, so and then on the member states how to implement them in the national legislation.
0: Okay, thank you, and uh, just another quick follow up tomorrow, and then to David and Clara uh, uh, from Tapir. Uh, to Pierre, the council is thinking about designing all entities with fifty employees as essential, regardless of the sector they operate in. Uh, why did the member states decide to take this approach?
2: It's still in the discussion. Okay. So we had done Yeah. Okay. So uh, it was a proposal of the commission, but we are still discussing in the council what you know uh, what kind of small and uh, micro enterprises, but also the medium one, are going to be. Uh, in the scope of, of the directive, because at the moment the large ones are automatically in the scope, and but the, uh, there are some conditions for others to be met before they can be in the scope of the directive.
0: Thank you, David. You know, we've touched on a lot of different uh, topics across this uh, discussion here uh, for, for not just Huawei, but also uh, companies of, of your size and in, in so many different markets as well. Are you confident that the European Union has the right sensibility to do what's needed uh, to protect the tech sector, to protect the, the, the economy, um, and to build a resilient uh, a resilient structure uh, for the, the, the foreseeable future, at least?
4: Well, uh, one, one saw the uh, speech that was given by the President of the European Commission, President von der Leyen, recently in the European Parliament, where she outlined clearly that cyber security is a core priority core political priority uh, for uh, the european union and uh, i do believe that uh, in essence the proposals concerning needs to uh, are balanced uh, but there are a number of issues that are going to have to be sorted out uh, at trilogue under the uh, french presidency uh, the reality is if the needs to rules and regulations are going to be implemented, they have to be enforced. So the 27 member states the European Union are going to have to put in place uh, proper structures uh, to enforce uh, those rules. Evidently, there are some punitive uh, provisions there for companies that may breach these rules, uh, 2% fines, for example, but in fact, that's actually uh, quite low compared to the reputational damage that can be done to companies that do not comply with not only the legal spirit of needs two, but also uh, the, not only the legal requirements of these two, but also the spirit of that uh, proposal. Uh, Certainly, it's the case that uh, a lot of discussions still have to take place about uh, how and uh, if particular SME, small and medium sized enterprises, are going to be included within the provisions of NIST 2. I mean, it's already the case that the number of companies that are going to fall under the scope of NIST 2 uh, is going to increase uh, into tens of thousands. Uh, bear in mind, though, there are 25 million uh, small and medium sized enterprises in Europe as it stands. Uh, so, as Tamara said earlier on, the conversation. Uh, needs to is about striking the balance uh, between supporting economic development and managing uh, the risk uh, so uh, a lot done more to do so to speak
0: let me ask you on this as well because the supply chain is so uh, tightly integrated as well the large players uh, have, they set the standards for the partners that they will work with as well so is it really necessary that needs to uh, uh, put bundles SMEs and micro-businesses into this as well, when the reality is that the commercial dynamics of uh, selling into uh, supply chains with large partners—it's those large partners that will set the standard. That you, know, we can't even get uh, you know certain organizations to permit Zoom, for example, because of of, of risk uh, in terms of, of um, broadcast. You know, because in each company has its own strict rules as well, whether that would be to do with food hygiene or cybersecurity as well. So is the the commercial dynamic here? Perhaps even the stronger lever uh, for SMEs uh, compared to what the, the Commission uh, could propose, David. You no,
4: know, at the core of what businesses want is is, is certainty, so that businesses businesses can actually take uh, decisions uh, in a certain business uh, environment, and it is really in a way very difficult uh, to decompartmentalize global supply chains was actually global supply chains, are not just the vestige of large companies, global supply chains uh, integrate small, medium and large scale companies. But at the core of the objective of Nice 2 is to strike the balance between ensuring high levels of cybersecurity in Europe and ensuring the promotion of economic uh, development uh, across uh, the European Union. That's the the the, the core purpose uh, of uh, Nice 2. But I would come back to a point I mentioned earlier on, I mean, enshrined in these two should be a zero-trust approach. There should be harmonized rules. There should be certified rules, certified standards drawn up by organizations like UNISA in cooperation with EU member states, so that can give the certainty that businesses need in relation to uh, complying understanding uh, and working uh, within the uh, legal uh, requirements laid down by needs to and also working within the spirit of needs 2 it was a very important point i think made earlier on uh, that needs 2 is just not only about legal compliance alone even though that is of paramount importance it's also about ensure it's also about making sure that uh, all companies, all organisations, from the public, private, uh, uh, educational, research communities, are aware of cybersecurity and uh, put in place proper cybersecurity strategies to mitigate uh, this re- risk. So, needs to serves many positive uh, uh, functions in that context.
0: Thank you, claire Just uh, to wrap up on the enforceability side of this as well. You, you know, how do you see this play out you know, politically? Uh, this is, is difficult for, for parliamentarians to uh, do anything which will uh, damage the, the profitability of SMEs by increasing burdens. We're coming out of a deep recession. COVID is still impacting as well. You know, there's a lot to contend with as well. We're we'll probably looking another round of austerity, tax rises uh, as well. Uh, so how do you, how do you convince uh, SMEs and this that uh, enforceability with, uh, with punishment and penalties um, is a good way forward?
3: Um, you, you know, I, 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 you know, when it comes to the sizes of the companies, as, you know, it was part of the discussion, you know, the, the number of employees, you know, I mean, one can really, unfortunately, and, and um, I'm glad I don't have to decide or write ride the, the directive, is that, you know, on one hand, you know, we say, okay, it's a small company, so the impact of a potential cybersecurity breach or incidents or impact on, on the resilience, state of resilience can be small. But when it comes to technology, I disagree because a, a company of three employees, you know, can have a, a a pretty large societal impact. And at the same time, you know, we've we've talked about how many small businesses there are in Europe. So if you think about their combined, you know power you know uh, and and sort of the combined um weight in the economy you know they are they are very very important and so their cybersecurity has to be important and i understand it can be a small two three person shop but you know they do not operate you know in isolation they operate as a you know as part of an ecosystem you know and and they should be you know treated as such. Now now w- you know what to do I think there you know this has been in, in in my previous jobs I worked quite a lot with with the small businesses you know I mean this is a a the, the million dollar question or million euro question ha- you know how you how you work with the small businesses and I think a lot of the governments within their you know national s- strategies within you know their sort of domestic initiatives there there's a lot of effort you know being put into the small businesses you know part of the recovery you know, a lot of countries are putting in place the, the recovery, sort of the COVID recovery um, schemes and have been, you know, cybersecurity has to be the priority because we have seen the rise of the incidents during the pandemic because we relied much more on, on doing everything online. And so when you think about recovery, when you think about, you know, how do you stimulate the sector, you know, part of stimulating the sector, I mean, every, every government I know of, has this interest in stimulating, you know, the, the small business sector, you know, it should be the, the you know, the item number two on the list, how you do it, you know, we do it by helping them with cybersecurity, with the tools, with the training, um, you know, it, it, it's no longer an afterthought for, for these businesses like it used to be, you know, and, and I really do think that when you go and, and do your little, you know, small business license. Um, you know, it should be part of your conversation with the national authority. And, and I'm not saying, you know, imposing a regulation, but there should be this offering, you know, of tools to to um, to elevate your, um, you know, to elevate your resilience. I mean, in in uh, I, I used to work on with a small business toolkit. You know, it was a toolkit of tools for small businesses, and they actually said. You know, we as a small business, we don't actually want to report cybercrime. Uh, one example, because we do it and nothing happens to us. Like you know, our situation doesn't improve. And so the organizations that wanted the small businesses to report on cybercrime to understand it, once they started to offer them the tools or training, you know, there was a much more sort of a, a conversation okay. about the threat and the crime. So you know, th- there is ways to to do it, um, but it should be uh, made a priority.
0: Thank you. Perfect. Um, let's uh, go to uh, our final uh, remarks. We're just almost out of time. So 30 seconds each. Uh, Svetlina, uh, over to you to start. Uh, final remarks. Uh, what does to uh, two I mean in terms of changes for the tech sector? What's important?
1: and uh, two is a good step forward and a good improvement of what we've built uh, so far as a framework, but uh, we should be um, clear on the fact that there are gonna be new challenges and risks we cannot estimate at this point coming up. But I'm sure um, as regulators we're gonna manage to uh, to tackle them in the right way for our SMEs and consumers.
0: Thank you, Tamara.
2: I agree with Svetlana hundred percent and adding only that uh, NIS2 is not a silver bullet. Uh, it's not going to solve all the issues and problems that we have in cybersecurity in Europe, but for sure it's a good step forward and we are hoping that uh, it's going to be implementing as soon as possible so that also the uh, entities, the subjects, the companies, and, and the uh, others who are part of the whole ecosystem are going to be more secure and enjoy the benefits of uh, doing business in a secure environment.
0: Thank you, Clara. Uh,
3: I think that you know the the success and uh, of, of this directive. You know, and as always, you know the, the devil is going to be in the detail. And I think one thing that's going to be very important that in those discussions about implementation, you know you know, how you provide guidance and best practices and advice on implementation. It should be a conversation and a dialogue within different bodies that includes businesses, that includes small businesses, that includes civil society and all those, you know, who are impacted by this directive being in a scope or they are being impacted by cybersecurity.
0: Thank you. Thank you. David, last word.
4: Yeah, cybersecurity is a top political priority for the European Union. but for NICE2 to be successful, uh, there should be put, we should put in place uh, common, uh, clear, open, uh, transparent uh, certified rules so that businesses know clearly what their obligations are from a technical viewpoint in terms of the need to uh, comply uh, with the provisions uh, of NICE2 moving forward.
0: Thank you. Thank you to Spallina uh Tamara Clara and to, to David for an excellent discussion today we covered a lot of uh grind today thank you also to our audience for uh, all the questions you put uh forward uh this uh discussion will be available on YouTube it's promoted on social media afterwards feel free to uh reshare that and you can continue the discussion using hashtag yay debates also thanks to our your active team uh, Zora and Molto Jacques and Tamara and uh to Huawei for their support today I wish you all a good day I'm Brian McGuire